if you like the work that we produce on this show, support the show and get access to extra content and more at patreon.com backslash Fred Opie Show. Today's show is a reboot of an interview I did with Hall of Famer, Cortland State alum, Jim Burke. Jim passed yesterday, April 8th, after a valiant battle against cancer. Jim was a great teammate. I recorded this interview almost a year ago, and I want to play it today in memory of Jim's life. Enjoy this interview, share it with people, and celebrate his life with me. From our studio in Babson Park, Massachusetts, it's the Fred Opie Show, where we unpack history to positively impact the future. I am Fred Opie, your host. Thanks for joining us live or listening to the podcast. Cortland State University alum and Hall of Famer Jimmy Burke is a native of Huntington, New York. Burke helped Cortland State win a 1975 national championship. His individual honors include three-time Collegiate All-American and All-Club selection with Long Island Lacrosse Club, which won six championships during his tenure with the team. Burke is a three-time national team selection in 1982, 1986, and 1990. He also served as a captain of his college team and the 1986 U.S. national team. In 86, he earned an All-World Team selection and was voted Outstanding Defenseman. In 1991, he won the Crown Guard Trophy for his contributions to the game as an active club player. My mother was a swimmer, mostly in high school. She grew up, my mom grew up in Long Beach on Long Island. She wasn't the athlete in the family. Clearly, my my dad was. He went to the State University of New York. He played uh, college baseball, though. He coached me. You know, I was the little shortstop kid and and all-star shortstop uh, right up until ninth grade. It was all about baseball, and he coached me in baseball. Uh, He had never even heard of lacrosse. Where did he go to high school? Hicksville. Everything was uh, centered on on the island for him. Both my parents grew up on Long Island. My dad ended up being a principal at an elementary school in Hicksville. My Mm -hmm. mom was an elementary school teacher in uh, Elwood. This thing was kind of based on Long Island. But he didn't have any exposure to lacrosse growing up in Hicksville, it sounds like. Absolutely none. I mean, I was in ninth grade. It was literally the day before uh, freshman sports were to begin. And I was, my friend and I, my best friend, uh, Bob Mongaluzzi, who ended up playing at 10, we were walking home and we cut through a, a schoolyard to get to our house, which we did uh, after just horsing around, playing around. And there were these two guys throwing the ball around. Uh, one of them was Paul Rep who was a high school All-American, turns out to be, and had a really great career at, at Penn State. And we just asked them, hey, so what is it? You know, we, they gave us <laughs> their sticks, and we threw it around. And I went home and said, Dad, Dad, I love this. This is really cool. And he looked at me and was like, you're going to what? Go out for lacrosse? There was just a serendipitous moment. God intervened or something and steered me in the direction I needed to go sounds like and it hasn't always been everywhere it had been in pockets say for ward nelville at the time it was much more a nassau county long island for those who don't know 
two counties. There's Nassau County and there's Suffolk County. And Huntington was a Suffolk County school. And we always were just a little bit second fiddle to the uh, Sawanicas, the East Meadows, the Manhassets, the Garden Cities. Not only did not every community in Suffolk have a powerhouse team, the whole county itself was uh, a bit par below, if you will, of, um, of Nassau County. But there's some big dogs who have come out of Huntington Lacrosse. God rest his soul, but uh, John Pirro was my absolute hero. John went to Roanoke, and I took his number, 27. I think he's probably the best lacrosse defenseman to have never played, never made a USA team or been in the Hall of Fame. Tell me, Jimmy, about your college visits and how you made your decision to actually go to court. Three bad games my senior year. Our first game against Ward Neville, our second game against Ward Neville, and our third game. <laughs> I wasn't highly recruited coming out of high school. I, I was a all-county player, mm-hmm. and uh, Richie Moran from Cornell was recruiting me. I remember he pulled myself, Bob Mongaluzzi, and Paul Rep uh, all into the coach's gym room and talked to us about Cornell and this and that. And, I kept following Cortland. It was my mom and dad were teachers, and again mm-hmm. at that time, Cortland was a little bit more of a teaching college. And I, I had an idea that I might want to be a teacher, but I wasn't sure. And they had just won a national title recently, and I think kids have to learn to be a little intuitive. Cornell was a name, Richie Moran was a name, but somehow Cortland felt just better in my gut. And I, I actually didn't visit either school. In fact, I wrote Cortland, and I wish I saved the letter, and the then coach, uh, Chuck Winters, sent mm-hmm. me back a letter saying, thank you for your interest in Cortland State. You can obtain an application from your guidance counselor. It's kind of my thing a lot throughout my career. I was I was the kid who was just too small. There were other you know, people ahead of me. I mean, at one point in high school, I was the eighth guy on an eight-man defensive team on the depth chart. And I remember coming home that night. I guess I was kind of in a pain at practice, and coach stopped the practice and had this guy, McGuire, Bobby McGuire, go against me uh, one-on-one in front of the team. And he, he scorched me like five times in a row. Didn't say another word, blew the whistle, and on with practice. And I went home that night. I cried in the shower for about an hour and said, that will never happen to me again. Two years later, I won a national championship at Cortland. When you are that player that the coach tops practice and says, let's do you know one-on-ones and see what happens, at that time, how big were you height-wise, weight-wise? Probably soaking wet, about 145 pounds, maybe 150 pounds, about 5'8" maybe. Mm-hmm. Now I was a little guy. You went home, you cried in the shower. It was a defining moment. Something happened. Tell me when you said this will never happen again, what steps did you take so that it wouldn't happen again? Not only that, you can go on to become a Hall of Famer. I asked my parents if I could go to the camp uh, between my junior and senior years. I took it a little more seriously. I started training a bit more. You know, my workout partner was always with my best friend, Mongo. Bob Mongoluzzi, again, I played a pen, and we would run. We would go down to the 
the school and shoot, we would we would just work out. And even in college, we'd run on the beach and we would do stairs, these unbelievably high stairs, and we would be gassed at the end of them. And he'd look at me and I'd look at him, <laughs> and he'd look me right in the eyes and he'd say, you know, Eamon McEnany would do another one. And I'd be like, damn wow. right. We would go back up again, you know, and, and we just pushed each other. So having a workout buddy or someone like that just made a made a big difference. Playing with a little bit of a chip. When I went to Cortland, um, we don't have scholarships there, but clearly there were other kids who were recruited from junior college and from other high schools. The mental aspect of that, of actually combining it with working out and whatnot, you know, the five biggest words in the English language are, it's all in your head. And I think that's really true. you got to take care of what's between your ears. That goes a long way. Uh, as well as, you know, just certain physical attributes and abilities, too. You are what I would call a classic tweener, is someone who excels despite some obvious deficits. The deficits could be height, it could be weight, it could be speed, it could be stick skills, it could be a lack of IQ in whatever your profession is or skill, like lacrosse. I love talking to tweeners, and I hope that the term doesn't insult you, Jim. No, I think that's, they always say it's not what happens to you, it's, it's how you respond to what happens to you, and I think that's entirely right, you know. Those defining moments where you can either fold your tent up and go home, or you can say, I, I, am, I am not going to let that moment define me. I am, I am going to break through that wall. And, uh, you know, we all have them on and off the field, and me dealing with some of the physical stuff I've got going on too. You know, it's, it's, what are you going to do? It's, it's how are you going to respond? And life is constantly, it, it never goes the way you think it's going to go. And it's, it's all about your response to what gets put in front of you. And I think that's, um, you know, that it's shown a lot with, with your term of the tweeners or, you know, of, of people who have really gone against those odds and, and, you know, hopefully inspired some others, you know, with their stories. You, as a defenseman, some ways I'm thinking you probably had an advantage because these guys are probably thinking, man, this dude, psh, I'm going to take his lunch. Was that an advantage at all? And did you play to that advantage? Well, I can vividly remember, you know, a fall practices, uh, one in particular, and there was this long-haired attackman. And he was wearing a Chiefs jersey, which I knew was from Massapequa. I didn't know who he was, and I just went after him. I stripped him, and then he got at me, and we had a... It was just an epic battle, the whole practice. About midway through, some guy was drawn at me, and I'm going back and forth at him. And the guy in line behind me, the defenseman, said, Do you know who that is? I said, No, I don't know who that is. He said that's Judd Smith. He's an All-American. And I turned around and said, I don't give up. <laughs> In fact, that got me going even more. I don't care who these people are. I'm going out after them. You know, I don't care what their reputation I don't care. Yeah, in a lot of ways, it fueled, uh, at least for me, it didn't get me nervous. It didn't get me scared. I don't care who they are. When you and your buddy were working out really hard and you wanted to quit and either you or your buddy said Eamon McEnany would not quit. Did you ever as a collegiate player or as a club player have to cover Eamon? 
yeah, as a collegiate player, I did when we would play Cornell. You know, back when I played, there was no distinction between Division Two. It was Division. There was Division One, and then there was Division Two, Three. And we, as Division Two, Three in Cortland, I mean, we played uh, Towson, we played UNC, we played Cornell, we played Penn State. I mean, we played some big time. We played Washington and Lee. Played Hobart. You know, we played some uh, big time schools. We lost in my freshman year, twelve to eight. And that's when they won a national championship. They were the, the big red. We were the little red. And I covered Eamon most of the game. He was still the hardest attackman I think I've, I've ever covered in my life. The kid had such speed and lacrosse IQ. And it was a battle. And it was great. We were both the better for it. I think of those Magic Johnson said when he had to play Larry Bird. He kind of bowed to your competitor. You, you, he brought out the best in you. Great players, possibly Mount Everest of lacrosse. Eamon McEnany has got to be in the discussion. Pound for pound, one of the toughest people that they've ever seen. Size-wise, you guys were pretty similar, weren't you? We were. We were, uh, which I think kicked him off a little bit, too. <laughs> but we were pretty similar. And, and at that size, he was playing, you know, Ivy League football. Just a great athlete. Talk a lot of junk or no? Yeah, he would. You know, I remember a time I just got him and he was so annoyed with me because I could clear against him too. I remember him spitting through his helmet on me and I just thought, oh, you, uh, you know. (laughs) (laughs) The show will be right back. For related content on negotiating the world of school and sports, Visit our website at fredopi.com. Check out our podcast archive and review the show on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and iTunes. The best way to support the podcast is to tell a friend. Share the show on Facebook and Twitter or send them to our website at fredopi.com. My wife, Dr. Tina Opie, worked as a management consultant before earning her Ph.D. at NYU Stern School of Business and becoming a tenured faculty member at Babson College. She has worked with the NFL, UBS, American Express, and Hulu to help their organizations do the hard work of becoming more inclusive. Tina Opie's consulting group can help your organization develop a strategy for elevating women and people from different racial, ethnic backgrounds to leadership positions. Tina's work on inclusion, appearance policies, authenticity, and or shared sisterhood will make a positive difference in your organization. Contact Tina at opconsultinggroup, LLC, at gmail.com. That's opconsultinggroup, LLC, at gmail.com. Publishing a book in the final months and weeks is like being an expectant father. I'm excited to announce that Super 7 is now in print. People have asked me, how did I go from being a poor student to PhD, Harvard Fellowship, and the author of six books. I thought about that question for years and developed an answer, taught it, and now published a paperback, Kindle, and audiobook in response. Here is a summary of the seven chapters in the book. Chapter one, receiving and giving feedback and how to fail forward. Chapter two, Best Practices for Communicating with Coworkers, Family, and Friends. Chapter 3, How to Plan Your Work and Work Your Plan. 
Chapter 4, How to Prepare for Success and Reduce Your Stress. Chapter 5, How to Better Manage Your Time and Be Present. Chapter 6, Learn How You and Those Around You Learn Best. Chapter 7, Leverage Technology to Keep Your Sanity and Get More Done. It's a short book, only 64 pages, full of nuggets of wisdom based on the mistakes and stupid tax I've paid over the years. Do you or someone you know have ADHD or you suspect they are on the spectrum for having it? I've met lots of students who do have it and adults my age who have recently learned they do. Whatever your difference is, it's a relief to find out that you're not lazy, crazy, or stupid. That's how I felt most of my life. Behavioral health specialists diagnosed me as a child, but I didn't get the help I needed until I was nearly 30. Since then, I started developing what I now call Super 7 as a way to make what's different about me like a superpower. Purchase copies of Super 7 and give them to your team, family, friends, and coworkers as a resource. And we're running a limited time offer special to celebrate the release of the book. For $7.99, you get the book and three CDs of my live events as a special offer. That's $20 worth of content for the purchase of a signed copy of Super 7. Go to our online store at fredobespeaks.com and purchase the book and bundle offer, and we'll get it to you as soon as possible. Welcome back to this edition of The Fred Opie Show, unpacking history to positively impact the future. How did you and your family pay for your undergraduate education? They steered me towards, you know, a state school. They would pay a certain amount, and I had to work. I worked every summer. I took a a 618 in the morning train into Manhattan from Huntington and worked all day. I was a uh, a painter in my then-grandfather's company in New York. You know, it was a long day, and I saved that money, and that would be uh, money for books and for spending. And by the time I was a junior, my dad was going for his doctorate, in education and he said look at we're squeezed you gotta start taking out loans so I then took out loans took me 10 years to pay back I can remember writing the last check I paid $392 every month I'll never forget it every month for 10 years I paid that money back for undergraduate and then I went to a graduate uh, you know I went to chiropractic school so that was three and a half years and all through all through loans. I lived at home for a while. I worked. I constantly worked and lived at home and took out loans. That was the way you did it. What would be your required undergraduate course before graduating school? Learning to play an instrument or learning to familiarize oneself with with an instrument. Courses in psychotherapy and psychology. Something great to just begin to get a feel for mind and how it works just to help kids begin to understand themselves, maybe understand the world um, a little better, their, their place in the world and how they think. If you could have dinner with three people, dead or alive, who would you want to have dinner with and why? Well, Carl Jung, because I'd love to just, I think his theory on the collective unconscious and on mythology. He, he or Joseph Campbell, I just love their work on psychology. I, I just think it would be fascinating to have a dinner with Albert Einstein, pick his brain on 
how the world works and matter and and then Stephen Hawkins, I think, would be the other person I'd, I'd want to speak to, especially because I, I heard, you know, a lot of these physicists to me are also very spiritual in mm-hmm. a lot of ways. I think mm-hmm. they can be very hardcore sciencey, but I think they also have this whole other side where they're trying to figure out the universe, and I think that's a really amazing spiritual thing that they're involved with, whether they know it or not. And I'd heard first he didn't believe in God, and then towards the end, you know, he actually believed there is a God. And I, I would love to, to hear his comments on, on that and what he thinks about something. Like, to me, that would just be a fascinating conversation. If you could have a superpower, which one would you want and why? If I could have a superpower? I really loved Black Panther. Okay. I loved Black Panther. I thought he was just cool. Some sense of fairness and justice and goodness and... Uh, I just love that. I, yeah, I really, I, I like that play. You, since your freshman year at Cortland State, how has your eating, drinking, and fitness routines and habits changed? Well, my first two years at Cortland, you know, I, I didn't know really much about food or additives, perhaps, or, or eating healthy, avoiding all the the white flour, the white sugars, too much carbs. I I really didn't pay a lot of attention. And I mean, I went out like a lot of kids and did some drinking and, you know, it really didn't have a good effect on my body. I mean, I I didn't like it. I I didn't feel good when I woke up. If I had too much to drink, you know, I I just, and I, it was a little bit of a thing, you know, uh, because other kids on the team, you know, going through our junior, senior year, you know, you're in your twenties by then, but you know, so we're young adults. You know, I don't think I made great choices, perhaps, you know, when I imbibe like that. So I kind of have gone the whole other route. I just I just don't. I just don't. And there's a history in my family of a lot of problems with that. And so I, I just stayed away from it. And my senior year, I started thinking about, I was still in, not sure if I wanted to be a teacher or not, although I was seemingly going that route. And once I student taught, I thought this, this isn't for me, and chiropractic grabbed my attention, and that's when I really started uh, involving myself with supplementation and working out and just, you know, kind of taking the, the long view of, I remember a bumper sticker or something said in the class, you know, like, this is the only body you have. This is it. I mean, this is it. So if you, you know, if you're not going to take care of this one, I started taking better care of myself, and I think with the cancer I'm dealing with, who knows what exactly causes it. Talk to 10 people and you get 10 different answers. Feeling like you have some control over this, which I do, you know, uh, through especially through diet and through, you know, lifestyle choices uh, is really important. Important for kids, especially if they're playing at this, at, at these kind of, you know, these guys at this level, you just can't go out and trash your body. I mean, you just can't. You have to be paying attention to nutrition. Uh, I, I think you just have to be. However, there are people who have probably said this to you as well. Man, you do all that stuff. I know people who they don't take care of themselves and they live until 90 years old. They haven't any problems. And I know this other guy, he, he got cancer and he was got this clean lifestyle. So why are you wasting all your time? And what do you think now that you are facing these things, uh, deal with cancer. Have you heard these thoughts before? And now that you actually experienced it, I'd love to hear your reflection. 
kind of funny, you know, you go into an oncologist's office and you say, okay, so what's, what's caused my cancer? And they don't know. They don't, they can surmise, but it's kind of funny. And that's where I kind of scratched my head where they're not quite sure, but they're going to give you this $250,000 treatment for it, but they're not quite sure what causes it. And they hope this is going to work. So, you know, for me, it's like I have to, and again, being a chiropractor, I've always looked at the body free of distortion has an incredible ability to heal itself. And I'm not someone to turn my back on traditional allopathic medications or not. I'm not advocating that per se, but I think you have to open your mind up to these other things. And yeah, we all heard of the person who just smokes and drinks and lived until 90 and I don't know, you know, maybe it was it certainly maybe their disposition played a, a great role in their health. I, I don't know. Or, you know, maybe they could have lived until 120 mm-hmm. or, you know, even myself was, you know, I think I've taken relatively good care of myself. I, I do. I, I, I sometimes go into my, when I would go into the oncologist's office, I'd look around and go, man, this is not my tribe. <laughs> These people look really sick, man. And I would get upset because I thought I, I pretty, you know, I pretty much did take care of myself. But the food I ate when I was younger, before I knew anything, or what I used to wash my clothes in, or the toxins I got exposed to, you know, it, who knows? It's, it's who knows. But I think it's to each his own. If for me, that like I said, I feel mentally better when I'm doing things like this. I feel like I'm you know, not a victim to things. I feel like I'm taking charge. And if that means I feel great about myself waking up, making my protein mix, going and working out, the re- chemically in my body, I think that does something for, for myself and anyone who does that. And it's all a personal choice. If you're not going to hurt somebody else, choose your lifestyle, but don't tell me how to choose mine you know this is what works for me and i'm not gonna make yours wrong but don't make mine wrong you know this is what works for me this is the fred opie show we'll be right back scripture of the day is Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Nelson Mandela said, our human compassion binds us one to the other, not in pity or patronizingly, but as human beings who have learned how to turn our common suffering into hope for the future.
back. Tell me, what is the kindest thing anybody's ever done for Jimmy Burke? Oh, boy. Um, I, I'm going to have a two-part answer, and, and one of it might make me lead me to the thing is, when did you last cry and why? But uh, one of the kindest things are, you know, my friends, and there were several of them, uh, Billy Barroza, Bob Mongaluzzi, my friend Charlie Ludlow, my friend Jim Bonaventura, who I played with at Cortland. I had some gaps in my health coverage, and they didn't skip a beat and started a GoFundMe for myself and my family, and that was incredibly benevolent of them, and the lacrosse community really rallied around me, people I didn't know about, people who knew of me, but I didn't know of them, was just amazing. That was incredibly kind of them to do that and thank goodness I'm in a position now that I don't need that help you know we got through that that period boy this other one is going to be I can feel myself choking over the kind you know I was in a uh, a 15 year marriage and we are consciously I call it consciously uncoupling to be my ex-wife but she's just still a great friend of mine and the mother of my three boys and I think it was, it took a lot of courage for her in the middle of me, you know, fighting when I'm fighting to really have the courage to say, look, it's not working here. It'd be better if we're not together and better for you, better for me and better for the children. Some could look at it as a unkind deed, but I think it was actually took a lot of courage and was actually very kind. We're moving forward in both of our lives, and we're I think we're both better off for it. It doesn't feel that way all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm still working through some stuff there, as is she, but um, I think that was actually a, a kind thing to do instead of staying something that, that wasn't working and was hurtful to both of us and the, and the kids. Uh, it was, it's always about the children for me, always about what's best for the children. If you were going to write a book of success, and success I define on my show as having the most positive influence on the people around you, can you share three chapter titles in your book of success? It's all in your head. The only person to listen to is the person who you look in the mirror every day. And, uh, Dreams without action are daydreaming, and daydreaming without action is painful. It's great to dream, and you have to couple it, though, with taking action on the court. You've got to be on the court taking action. But just taking action without it linked to something that you love and and that you've dreamed about uh, is just pure drudgery and, and painful, and no one wants that. Those would be my three chapters. Jimmy, thank you so much for coming on the show. You now have a document, an oral history of your lacrosse journey that uh, I hope you will share with friends and family and with grandkids and great-grandkids. It's, it's, a, it's an amazing thing to be able to turn something over to somebody and say, here's more about my life that you may not have known. Thank you. I, I appreciate and and wonderful for the sport, wonderful for the young kids. Just thank you for for giving back. Over the last four weeks, 
we've lost Hall of Famer George McGinney, Hall of Famer Jim D'Arcangelo, and now Jim Burke. That's it for this edition of the Fred Opie Show. Thank you for joining us. Check out the show archive at fredopiespeaks.com, as well as our books and other content. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Check out our show notes where you'll find a way to subscribe to our podcast, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter. You'll find links to books discussed on the show, links to our YouTube channel where you can watch the show. If you want to know more about what I'm doing, go to fredopi.com, which is my website. You can see information on the books I've published. There are two blogs that I host there, both a food and an athlete's blog, and there's both a food and an athlete's podcast. The whole archive to both those two podcasts are there. At the bottom of the podcast page, I have links to interviews that I have listened to on other people's podcasts that I would recommend to you. 